Hebrews chapter 2 and verse number 3. I think all of us who are acquainted with the Bible to any degree, certainly we are uh, familiar with this expression of verse number 3. It runs through my mind and heart very often. And here's what the verse says. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? I want to just think with you tonight on this expression in regards to the description of our salvation and then venture off from that and share with you some things that salvation does not do. Certainly salvation, as is found in our Lord Jesus Christ, is the greatest thing that any man or woman could ever experience. So great a salvation seems even though it is a Bible expression, yet it seems to fall short of what you feel in your own heart, uh, knowing that you've been saved and that your sins have been forgiven. Salvation is great in many respects. It is an instantaneous salvation. Salvation is not something we labor for and our work toward, our work up to, or that we deserve. But salvation comes instantaneously the very moment a believing sinner turns from his sin and comes to the Lord Jesus Christ. It is a great salvation because it brings about a change in a person's life. The thing that disturbs me so much in these days is that you hear a lot of people calling themselves Christian. They'll say, oh yes, I'm saved, but there's apparently no change in their life. And I do not believe that a person can genuinely be born again, saved by the grace of God, and some change not be evident in that person's life. Now, the change may be in action, outward action and conduct. And certainly that's very noticeable. But I think as well, even the person who's saved that maybe hadn't been a drunkard and a gambler and a whoremonger and a profane blasphemer that's so evident to everybody. But when a man gets saved, though he may not have had those things outward in his life, I think you can evidence a change in the attitude of that person's life. There's a change in his attitude toward God. There's a change in his attitude toward the church. There's a change in his attitude toward the word of God. There's a change in his attitude toward other people. And as I've often tried to impress upon you, a man's attitude when it is right, therefore following, you can expect his action and his conduct to be right in life. There is a great change indeed that occurs in this great salvation. We are changed from a child of Satan and hell to a child of God and of heaven itself. That's a great change that takes place in a fellow's life. And the Bible also reveals that when a man is saved, there comes a change from death unto life. There comes a change from darkness unto light. And so this great salvation affects a change. There's a change from our state of condemnation to one of justification. Once we were condemned by reason of our sin. 
But coming to Christ and experiencing that great salvation, then we are declared righteous and acceptable in the sight of God on the basis of that faith and trust we have placed in the Savior. And then there is a change from a state of unforgiven sin to one of forgiven sin. I don't know of any word that's more precious to a sinner than that word forgiven. And when a man has been made so aware of the guilt of his sin and then knowing that when he trusted Christ, all of the sins of his past, his present, and the future have been taken care of by the blood of the precious Lamb of God. There's been a change in our destiny in this great salvation. Once on our way to hell, now the destiny has changed and we're headed in a different direction. And then, of course, we could go on and on and talk about the many changes that come in this great salvation. But yet, let me say this, and here's what I want us to think about tonight. Though salvation is one of the greatest or the greatest thing that could ever happen in a person's life, I would say this, I want you to think about it carefully. Salvation is not a panacea or a cure for all the troubles and the ills of a person's life. Now, sometimes uh, us preachers and our enthusiasm, we'll say to a man, you get saved, boy, and all your troubles are over. Well, the truth of that is it just ain't so. That is not the truth. And yet again, salvation solves the basic problem and it establishes a basis whereby the other problems that erupt in our life can be solved, yet there are some things that salvation does not do. Let me name one or two of them. First of all, salvation does not change one's immediate circumstance in life. Oh, would to God that it did in many cases. But salvation, though wonderful and real as it is, has not changed the circumstance that many a person has found themselves in. A fellow gets saved, for example, who's on death row. And I have the joy of leading a a man uh, to Christ who was on death row down in Parchman Penitentiary. But he lived there until they sent him to the gas chamber. He was saved, yes, but even that salvation, as great as it is, forgiven his sin, got a home in heaven, his destiny has changed, he's not condemned anymore by a holy God, but he's justified, but he remained in that, that cell on death row until his death. I've led people to Christ who have had great illnesses. They're sick and very critically so. And yet, though they get saved and there's a change in their life, uh, it doesn't mean that when a fellow gets saved, all of his physical problems are going to perish. Uh, I remember uh, when uh, J.C., Lucille's husband, had the joy of leading him to Christ. And uh, J.C. still got heart trouble. He's still a sick man. But yet again, salvation, as great as it is, does not, nor does the Lord say, that it will change all of the outward circumstances of life. 
There are folks in China tonight who are saved by the grace of God. And thank God for the reports uh, recently that I've read of many hundreds of people in China still under the iron rule of atheistic communism. And yet those folks have been saved. And I guarantee if they could stand here tonight, they'd talk about that great salvation. And indeed it is great, but it has not changed to this point their outward circumstances. There are those in the island of Cuba right tonight under the rule of Castro's communism. And many of them are saved, but it hasn't changed their condition or their circumstances outwardly at all. I've led folks to Christ who have had troubles in their families. And uh, I led uh, a man to Christ whose wife had left him. I've led a woman to Christ whose husband had left him, left her. And uh, and yet, uh, that didn't change the circumstance. But salvation does and is a great salvation. Though the circumstances presently may not be changed, we can rest in this hope and this promise that one day they will be changed and we'll, uh, we'll light out of here and we'll head to land where all of the circumstances of evil and sin are forever and forever over. Now, though salvation does not change a man's circumstance outwardly in every case, let me say this, it does give a man the strength inwardly to rise above his circumstance. He may be in de- on death row and he gets saved and he can rise above that circumstance. And uh, the fellow I led to Christ in parchment, I went back when I was there in a revival meeting and uh, this fellow shook my hand and big old tears of joy running down his face and just thanking God that he is saved. He wasn't in that old morbid, downcast kind of spirit. In other words, though in a cell, heading for the gas chamber, yet he could rise above his circumstance. I don't know anything to do that other than this great salvation. Do you? It'll cause a fellow to rise above the circumstance. Another thing salvation does not do is this. It does not change your old nature. Again, would to God it did. I wish I could stand here and tell you if when a fellow gets saved, he'll never be bothered with the old nature of the flesh, that Adamic nature of ours uh, that is so contrary to God and so rebellious against God and loves the things of the flesh and of, uh, and of sin. Ah, but the Lord didn't say that old nature would be changed, but he did say he'd give you a brand new one. He'd give you a new nature on the inside. And Paul contrasts those natures in Romans 7 and 8. And he talks about the life uh, 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 that the old man is in, the life of the flesh, the carnal nature, and uh, how, how he struggled within that. And then he came, comes over to Romans chapter 8. Same fellow, but he's living in a different realm. He's living in the realm of the Spirit, and he's walking in the Spirit, and he's victorious over the things and the suggestions and the lust of the flesh that otherwise uh, he had been a victim of and been a slave to. And so, though salvation is great, it does not change a man's old nature. God just gives you a brand new one. And that old nature and the new nature is going to be in conflict and they're going to be contrary to each other. And yet if we will walk in the Spirit, Paul said, we will not what? Fulfill the lust or the desire of the flesh. Now, though this great salvation doesn't change your old nature, it does provide 
victory over the old nature. Though the old nature's there, you do not have to be a slave. Though the old nature suggests all kind of evil things, by reason of this great salvation, the Savior that lives within and the person of the Holy Spirit, he can give you victory over every known sin in your life. Well, you say, brother, what are you talking about? Sinless perfection? No. You could get, you have victory over every known sin in your life tonight. And I, tomorrow, about the same time, the Lord will have shown you another one that you need victory over. But I'm talking about victory over the things you know are contrary to God. Things that are contrary to his word. Things that are not right in his sight. God, indeed, through that salvation, has provided victory over the old nature. And then thirdly, this great salvation does not remove temptation. Sadly enough, some have come into the family of God and they thought, oh boy, I'm saved now and the old devil can't bother me or tempt me anymore. I'll never, have, I'll never be tempted to do wrong again. And all of a sudden they wake up the next day or so and they discover those old temptations creeping back in again and trying to pull them astray and, de- and destroy their witness and their testimony for Christ. Oh no, being saved doesn't mean that you're free from temptation. This old nature will still give its evil, lustful thoughts. And Paul lists much of those in the book of Galatians 5. There's temptations to be selfish, self-centered, self-seeking. Oh, and I'll tell you this, I've had to fight those battles in my life since the Lord saved me. And yet that great salvation, oh, it's real and it's there. But those old temptations arise, temptations to be jealous and angry and envious and uh, haughty and proud and uh, arrogant to, to the Lord's word and his will. Ah, oh, but though, though temptation is not excluded when you get saved, By coming to Christ and experiencing this great salvation, he provides again strength to overcome the temptations that rise in your life. I've often said it, and I'll remind you again, the Lord Jesus promised this for sure. In this life, he said, you shall have tribulation. You're going to have trials. You're going to have testings. You're going to have temptation. Jesus said it, and you can watch for it. And so then, this salvation is great and wonderful, but it doesn't remove temptation from us. And then, uh, fourthly, it does not shield us from heartaches. All the heartaches that even children of God go through in life. And sometimes we somehow believe that if we get saved, boy, listen, Jesus will keep you from all the heartaches. That's not so. Jesus himself, the Savior, experienced heartache. You remember when all the disciples fled. Remember when Judas, one of the twelve, betrayed our Lord Jesus. Oh, can you think of a greater heartbreak than that? Here is one whom the Lord Jesus would endeavor to bring to himself, but Judas instead sells him for 30 pieces of silver, betrays the blessed Son of God. What a heartache that was to our blessed Savior. I think of Simon Peter. What a heartache. What a heartache Peter was to Jesus when he stood out there denying that he even knew him. And what a heartache it was to Simon Peter, saved man, had experienced this great salvation. And then when Jesus turned and looked on him, Simon Peter's old heart just broke because he realized he had denied the Lord Jesus. I think of Paul 
and the heartache he must have experienced when Demas, one of his own companions, left him. And Demas, he wrote and said to Timothy, has forsaken me, having loved this present world. Oh, how that must broke the heart of the old man of God and how our, our hearts are broken often when we've seen those who've once served God and been faithful uh, in the house of God and, and witnessing for the Lord and then all of a sudden they're gone and they're out in sin and their lives are not counting for Jesus. Ah, I wish salvation would spare you from heartaches. I've had plenty of them. I look over this congregation in the six years that I've been here. I look over it on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and I see faces that are not here. Sin has taken its toll, and that's a heartbreak. That's a heartbreak. And so uh, though we're saved, it doesn't mean that we're going to be spared from those things. It doesn't mean that you'll be spared from hurt feelings. Oh, yeah, the child of God can have his feelings hurt down deep inside. Things can be said by those that we've had great trust and faith in. And yet again, the thing about it, though our maybe hurt and uh, wounded deep inside, if we're really saved, there's something within us that just won't let us quit, right? I mean, you can be hurt and you can be offended, but there's something down inside that just keeps pushing you on and making you want to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. It's wonderful to know this when you have this Savior, and that is that when you do hurt and your heart's breaking, you have someone who knows and understands and weeps with you and, and, and hurts with you. I'm glad we have a personal Savior like that, aren't you? Amen. And then not only that, but let me say this. Contrary to what some would, some would seemingly impress upon the hearts of especially the young, this great salvation does not assure you of success and popularity in the world. The Lord never said if you get saved now, the world's going to fall in love with you and boy, they're going to make you the star. They're, you're going to be the, you're, you're going to be the uh, number one person in popularity. The Lord never said that. He said, in fact, if the world hated me, you can expect the world to hate you. So the Lord doesn't promise just because you get saved, you're going, to be a, you're going to be a star athlete. And I hear many of these fellows who are professional athletes, they give their testimony, and I thank God for those who are saved. But uh, sometimes young folks get the idea, boy, if I get saved, uh, I'll be like that fella. Boy, I'll be the star quarterback on the football team, and uh, I'll, be the, I'll be the most popular baseball player or basketball player. Oh, the Lord didn't promise that. Thank God for those who are real, who have such a place, but the Lord didn't assure you when you got saved that everybody's going to fall in love with you. Everybody where you work is going to just applaud you for being a Christian and everybody in your family is going to say, oh, isn't it wonderful that you got saved and you're loving the Lord and serving the Lord and you're going to go to the mission field or you're going to serve God here. Oh, the Lord didn't say that happened just because you got saved. The world kind of, I mean, that turns the world off, doesn't it, Bob? I mean, they kind of get scarce. Uh, you get talking about, you can talk about everything in the country, but start talking to somebody about Jesus and uh, rejoicing over it and say it. And listen, uh, some folks look like they've seen a ghost. I mean, the most talkative person that you know, uh, have you ever seen this clam up all of a sudden? I mean, they just, they just closed down shop. 
some of you Christian young people. Uh, our girl, boy, you may have dated some fella or girl that wasn't saved. And first thing, when you started giving a testimony, it scared the living daylights out of them. Well, you better thank God they did get scared, I'll tell you that. Then not only that, but let me say last of all, this is a great salvation, but it does not give us perfection in life. No, we're forgiven, but we're not perfect. Thank God one day we will be. All of the failures, the errors, the mistakes of life are going to be over. But just because you're saved, it does not mean that there is somehow a perfection in your life. Uh, you're still going to make some wrong decisions. Have you made any since you've been saved? Be honest, have you? Sure you have. I have. Uh, there are going to be some wrong actions in your life. There'll be times even, and there've been times since you've been saved, as well as I, when you've done things or said things, and, and you went home and said, what in the world, and why did I do that? I didn't want to, I didn't want to hurt that person. I didn't want to, I didn't want to offend them. I didn't want to, I didn't want to bring that kind of uh, a thing in their life. And so it doesn't mean that's because you're saved, you're perfect. And neither does it mean that you won't have some wrong reactions in life. You ever reacted wrongly to what somebody said or done? And boy, maybe you reacted, you just sold up like an old possum and, and pouted for a while and, and uh, the devil whispered and said, why don't you leave and uh, all of this. Uh, it doesn't mean that just because you're saved, you won't have wrong reactions. And neither does it mean that sometimes you won't have the wrong attitudes in life. I find it often, don't you? Sometimes the Lord just has to arrest me and say, now look, you're thinking about this in the wrong way. You've got the wrong attitude about it. You're going to have to back up. You're going to have to change that. Have you ever had the wrong attitude toward an individual, toward a person? And maybe you misjudged them. And you, you, you just, boy, I mean, you're critical. And uh, the Lord just had to ring your number and say, now listen, that's not right. You're, you're setting yourself up as a judge and your attitude toward them is this, is not right. And maybe we misjudge someone's actions toward us. And the Lord's Spirit would say, hey, that's not right. Now, this is a great salvation, isn't it? And we're going to rejoice in it through all eternity. And I would, I'd just like to spend all the time tonight talking to you about the great positive things that happen. But I did feel a need to remind you tonight. Because of Satan's attempts to, dis, to, to discourage us, to cause us to doubt that we're saved, and the devil come along and say, listen, you, you, are, you think you're saved with an attitude like that? Look at that choice you made. Look at that decision you made. And look here, you're sure not perfect, and yet you claim to be saved. And look at the circumstance. You got saved and, and you're still in the same old mess uh, in the home life or out there on the job. Nothing changed. Then when you stop and think, you know something has changed, don't you? What a wonderful life, change in my life has been wrought since Jesus came into my heart. And so, so the child of God can rejoice in this great salvation. And we ought to share this great salvation with the folks. I ask you this question. Have you shared Jesus with anybody during this birthday time for our Lord? Have you told anybody about Jesus? Uh, several of you, by the way, have asked me about the little candy cane. Uh, I'll try to run some of those off for those of you who are interested in that. But what a testimony. Uh, it's still close enough to Christmas. Why don't you get some of them Christmas canes? And when you give them to somebody, tell them what's behind that. 
and uh, share with them. Be a wonderful way. Just have something to get leave in their hands. Be a good way to give a testimony and a witness for Jesus Christ. What a wonderful Savior and what a great salvation is ours. We'll rejoice in it through all eternity. Amen. All right. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this uh, midweek time that we can get together. And, and somehow, Lord, our spirits sometimes get to dragging along the middle of the week. And we come together with your people and we look in your word and think on things eternal. And you just lift us up. And Lord, uh, sometimes we just lift it up whether anybody says anything or not. Just by being in your house and and sense in your presence that dwells and your spirit dwelling in the heart of thy people. Oh, we thank you for that. Thank you for our precious people. What a testimony, Father, to this county. Here on Wednesday night, this good crowd, when in some of our churches only 10 and 12 attend a prayer service in the middle of the week. Lord Jesus, keep us faithful to you. Oh, help us to not be proud but bring us to a place of utter humility that Jesus can be seen through and in our lives. We thank you for blessing us tonight. Uh, thank you for uh, Brother Joel and sharing with us briefly uh, his own burden in life. God bless this precious young man as he goes over to Ireland this summer and give him real victory and a harvest of souls. We know, Lord, the devil's had a, had, a, had a vice grip on many a soul in that country for a long time. And we pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you will just bring many to the Savior. And Lord, we wouldn't forget tonight to pray for our missionaries. Thank you for those who serve thee and represent us as well as you uh, there on the farm field. We ask you to bless them in a special way tonight. And we thank you for answered prayer. Uh, for the loved ones that have been sick and those who have gone through the loss of loved ones, thank you for encouraging their hearts. Now, dear Father, bring us back on this Lord's Day for a great time of blessing and harvest and honor to your precious name. May we get the year started right this first Sunday of a brand new year. Lord, we don't know this year could be the year, could be the year when you come again and we pray that you'll find us busy busy about the master's business if you should come for us in, the, in this coming year. And we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.